and welcome to the Rev It Up podcast, helping entrepreneurs fill up their tanks, crank up the RPMs, and put the pedal to the metal until they cross that finish line. Hello, I'm Jess Tiffany. Ready, set, go. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Rev It Up podcast. Super excited to be here today with you. And we have special guest, Lance. Did I say right, Schooler? Oh, Yes. I was really nervous, actually. I should have should have asked that before I started to hit the record button. But all right. So basically, Lance coaches businesses in importing, exporting, and global trading to better navigate the minefield of international trade and transport safely. He has an ability to share his extensive knowledge, experience, and insights in a clear, simple, and understandable style that will propel you forward toward your success in importing exporting, international trade, and transport. And with that, welcome, Lance. Thank you very much, Jace. Super excited to have you. And, and tell everybody where that awesome accent's from. It's from Sydney, Australia, where the, the largest island and the smallest con- uh, continent in the world. <laughs> they probably would have figured that out because it's a good accent. I love I love that accent. <laughs> well, awesome. So as I was kind of telling you before, I'm not super knowledgeable on this subject. I'm really excited to delve in and kind of learn a lot of different things about what you've done. It sounds like we both worked at 3M at some point in our lives. That was kind of cool as we were uh, getting ready for the show here. I, I thought that was pretty neat uh, coincidence. But but yeah, if you could tell us a little bit about your background. Actually, I always forget this before we get started. Where can people find you online or what's the best way for them to get a hold of you? The easiest way is really on LinkedIn. And if you want to contact me on LinkedIn, just go to my contact info and my details are in there. I'm also on Twitter, Lance Schooler on Twitter, Lance Schooler at and it's Lance, L-I-N-C-E-S-C-O-U-L-A-R. So both of those. And uh, so tell us a little bit about your background. And you did the 3M and some other stuff. But yeah, if you could kind of tell about kind of how you got to where you became an expert in your area of, of expertise. Yeah, so in 1968, I just left high school and I was applying for different jobs. My father had been an export manager for a company called Horlix Malted Milk. And they exported from Australia to the South Pacific and Southeast Asia. And I was wasn't sure what I wanted to do. Somehow I saw some ads for some customs brokers and I applied for a number of jobs and I got, I think I applied for about four jobs. This is 1968. (laughs) And uh, I got all of them, but I chose one of them. It was a company called Australasian Transport and Shipping Agency Company Proprietary Limited. Try and say that in one breath. It's known as ATNSA. They were customs brokers and freight forwarders. In other words, they freight forwarder moves cargo from country to country. So if you're an importer, they bring it in from overseas for you. They work with shipping lines, airlines, truck and rail companies, and they coordinate it all. So you don't have to go to each of those, you know, if you had a truck and a train and a ship and a plane you had to organise, you don't have to go to each of those companies, the freight forward or organise it. They also had a customs section, and that's where I was. In most countries, if you're importing into that country, many people will actually go to a customs broker who are often, in most countries, they're probably accredited by the, the government to do those functions. And so instead of you filling in the documents and everything else and paying duties and taxes, the customs broker does that for you and charges you obviously a fee to do that. So in the sense of a customs broker and a freight forwarder, which most are these days, they do the whole lot. So you go from beginning to end of transport and customs clearance, etc. So that was in 1968. I left there a year later, went to 3M Australia. So we both worked for 3M Australia. 3M is abbreviation for Minnesota Mining 
a manufacturing. A lot of people probably don't know that. It's obviously from Minnesota, and they're ba- I think they're still based in St. Paul, Minnesota. But I was in uh, Sydney, Australia. That is the Australian company. Then I progressed. I went to another company, American company called Baxter International. I was headed up their sort of import-export function there. And then in 1975, I actually left there and started up my own business with much fear and trepidation. <laughs> so I became a customs, primarily a customs broker, but I did freight forwarding as well, but I'd also work with other freight forwarders. So I did that for many years. I then merged with a, another company, had a bit of a, a business challenge with financial situations. So a chap that I'd been doing his customs work for his freight forwarding company, I basically merged with him. A few years later, we sold that and uh, went to another company. And then I was recruited to join this uh, Austrade, the Australian Trade and Investment Commission, which is part of the Department of Foreign Affairs and Trade, which is a government agency dealing with you know people movement in and out of the country, foreign affairs dealing with other countries and also trade. And then after that, I left to, I could see the benefit of, in 2009 of social media for small business. So I thought I'd pivot into social media training and consulting. That's about it. <laughs> Perfect. And then today you're, you're coaching people on uh, the actual art of going through the trades and, and forwarding and everything? Yeah, so well, back in the 1990s, early 1990s, when I merged with my colleague, John Yellen, we actually started up a course, like a three-night course that we just hired a room at the University of Technology, Sydney, UTS, and we just published a little ad in the, the local paper and people came along to that. But in 97, I'd left that college, that training, and I then started going to community college. I said, I can run a course on import-export, and I did that. So those courses were two-day courses and I ran them up to 2015-16 face-to-face. And if somebody wants to learn how to do that, you'd be a good resource for them for some like direct coaching. Yeah, so what I've found, even with my social media coaching, consulting, whatever you like, what I found is for most people, after my period of contract finished, I go back and look at their social media, their LinkedIn, their Twitter, whatever it might be. In most cases, crickets, nothing. They hadn't done anything since I, you know, I tried to show them what to do. I set things up for them. But then I thought, well, this is crazy. And that's why I sort of pivoted back to import-export a few years ago. And particularly now with COVID, The thing is with coaching, if people did the course, many, a few would do it, most wouldn't. So I thought, I really want to deal with people that really want to do it and I'm going to coach them and they have to, it's a contract, not a sign contract but if you want to do this coaching you want to import you want to export you want a global trade i will help you i will coach you but it's i'm going to show you what to do you do it and we go from there if you're not going to do it i'm not interested in yeah right helping you <laughs> don't blame you there so is there like certain countries that are you know easier to i'm assuming there is but easier to get into and easier to trade back and forth with well obviously let's take this you know we're in 2020 we've had a year of covid 19 and we if that has been a health challenge, including a mental health challenge, <laughs> but also but also it's been a, a trade challenge because if you think about it, global trade has become one of the big issues 
of the last few decades, it's become a huge element of the economy of the world. In one sense, here's a, an interesting thought for you, that's only been facilitated really by containers. Those 20-foot or 40-foot containers that basically the world has adopted, it's, I think it's 1956, a guy named McLean invented these containers in America. But because of the volume you can pack into a container, you can put on a truck, you can put on a train. Those 20-foot containers don't go into aircraft. But the air freight industry has specialised containers for their, their aspect as well. But the volume you can fit onto those container ships is huge. Yeah. And world trade wouldn't have come to this point without that. Now, to come back to your point, your question, that yes, when COVID first came out in China, they locked down. They just said, everything's going to shut down. We're going to beat this. And therefore, the supply was an issue. People that many countries would go to China for their production because that's the way it evolved over many years. And so therefore, when those those supplies weren't available to ship out to around the rest of the world, that became, there wasn't the supply. Then as COVID sort of spread through the world, <laughs> a situation where countries like in Australia, we had sort of in different, we've got, uh, was it six states and two territories? And we each state had its own way of dealing with it, but we had a, a national plan, sort of the premiers of the, each state and the, the prime minister had a, a regular meeting to say, how are we going to do this? They very cooperative, different p- political persuasions, but very cooperative. So then with that shutdown, that meant there wasn't a demand for things from overseas because people weren't going to shops or they were, but not too much. Mm-hmm. So you had supply problems, demand problems around the world. Yeah. And now there's right now in Australia is huge, a traffic jam, if you like, of containers, sea freight containers in particular, many airlines around the world have been grounded because there's not the demand for them. And on those planes that we fly on, in the belly of those planes, underneath the seats that we sit on in those planes, is cargo. And just-in-time stuff or fresh food and things like that goes in the belly of planes. And those planes can't fly because they're not the demand for the actual passengers. Therefore, the cargo hasn't got somewhere to to go. So at the moment, there is, is a huge problem in congestion and problems. So so yes, dealing with China at the moment is an issue. Dealing with any country in the world is an issue in trade. So if you're if you're thinking about starting an import business at the moment, it could be it's a challenging time. But if you've got the right product and you've got the right transportation available to you, it could be the best of times. Sure. Okay, that makes sense. We got we got our toilet paper finally, so we're set. Yeah. <laughs> Yes, it's a strange thing. That was one of the big issues in Australia. It became everyone was going for toilet paper. Yeah. Unbelievable. Yeah, it's like of all the things in the universe you need, I don't know. I guess it's kind of important. You don't want to wash. Yeah, anyway, we won't go into that topic here today. All right. <laughs> Family <laughs> friendly. Flush <laughs> that conversation. All right. Um, <laughs> so so if, if we're trying to, you know, do some importing, exporting, what are kind of like, say we're just starting and we got a product, pretty sweet. What are a couple steps people could take to find, you know just try to facilitate the transportation to a new country like I don't even know how you uh, get with the person to start process okay so I've as you mentioned in my reading out my little uh, profile there I in my courses I tried to simplify things and in my courses I tried to use very visual things so that the the simplification actually could be seen visibly mm. and so I've come up with a few little acronyms and things like 
about to help. So the first thing is I've got a thing covering the whole lot of import-export. I call it the seven facets of import-export and global trading. Now, the facets are like a Tiffany diamond, (laughs) (laughs) right? So a diamond has facets. We talk about that. So I've used the seven facets. The first thing is research researching and analysing what is necessary. And a lot of people just go into it whole as both without actually researching. Is there, firstly, in marketing, is there a market for my product? That's the first thing. Now, there's two things. You might be exporting, you might be importing. Now, in my courses, most people came along looking to import. In fact, that's probably an easier way of doing things because if you know your market in your own country and can find a product overseas that you believe would sell in that market, it's probably easier easy to find that from overseas and bring it into your country. On the other hand, if you're an exporter, you've got a market in your country. So in your country, Jess, that'd be America. You might be up in Minnesota. You might go out looking for products, you know, in your local area and find, oh, here's a product. And you say to the guy, have you ever exported this? And he says, no, I just do it here. And I send it all over America, but I don't send it overseas. And you say, would you mind if I help you export it? If he said yes, then you'd say, well, let's look at what is the market for this product? What countries should I start looking at? Not the whole world, pick one country possibly. But then you've got to find someone that's going to be able to distribute your product in that country. So, you know, these are some of the things you've got to do. The next thing I talk about after the initial analysis and research is then looking at risk, (laughs) R-I-S-K. Okay. So in thinking about risk, I have a castle strategy. I'll come back to that in a minute. But think about it. As a kid, you went across the road to go to the lolly shop. And your mother says, okay, when you cross the road, look right, look left, look right again. Or in your country, it might be the other way around because you're driving a different side of the road. Anyway, you get the idea. So there's a risk in crossing the road. There might be a car coming or a bike, a push bike, or maybe a skateboard. (laughs) And you've got to look right. So the, the thing about import export, there's lots of risks. There's risk in any business, obviously. But when you're dealing internationally, there's a whole lot more risk because you're dealing in... Firstly, can I get, I'll talk from an import point of view and I'll talk from an American point of view because that's where you are. If you were importing, you found a product in China, can they they export it out of China? Can they get permission from the Chinese government to get it out? That's the first thing. Just go to Alibaba, right? Yeah, well, that's right. You could do that. (laughs) That's about the only thing I know. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. That's a lot of people use that. But then you need to find out, do I, is the American government, how many regulations on that product come in? Is it a a medical product? So the FDA, whatever it is, you're yeah, yeah, um, yeah, FDA is one of the big ones, yeah. Yeah, so they may have regulations that you have to register that product if it was a medic. It depends on what it is. Yeah. But I had a client in Australia who was trying to get their product into America. He couldn't get it in and he was talking to someone in their office over there and they said, instead of this, why don't you call it that? Because that would allow you to get it into the country. Wow. So, and that was just a, that was like a, not through a, a channel of going through a process that was just someone said, I just had a thought, why didn't you do this? So, but in many cases, regulations will either prohibit you from importing into America or there's a process you would have to go through to register that product so that it's actually approved to be imported into America. Okay. So if you don't have that, if it came into the country, it's likely your customs authority would say, sorry, that product's not allowed in. It won't be allowed in. You'll just have to destroy it or get rid of it. These are things you have to think about. Not, not every product's going to be like that. 
another one, which is probably more reasonable these days, if you're importing into America an electrical approved for the appropriate authority that may look after those sorts of things. We have one in Australia. If you're bringing an electrical product, it has to be approved to be so that it's compatible with our electrical system in Australia. I remember that, yeah. So yeah, just a few. 3M about that. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. I remember. So there are just a few things, but obviously you can do a lot of that research yourself, but if you went to a customs broker, then they may be able to help you and say, yeah, we know about these products. These are the rules and regulations you'll have to do. In this particular case, you don't need anything. But if you do, these are the regulations you'll have to comply with. And this is the way you'll have to get an application approved. Let's say there's somebody out there that already has kind of an import-export business going a little bit. And is there a couple tips on scaling that? Like being able to, I suppose you have to have people buying it, obviously, at some point. But but is there any tips on just kind of, you know, you know taking it from a certain level up to a a much bigger level? Yeah, I guess I'll I'll stick with importing in this, in that case, just to make it simple. If you've started importing a product and it seems to be going well, and you might've got it in in as a sample or a a sample shipment on air freight. But then actually, there's an example. I had one, one lady did a course with me and she was importing clothes from India and I said, well, to start off with, get, get some articles mailed to you by airmail. And there were, at that point of time, a few years ago, anything under $1,000 of value would come in duty-free. There was duty on that, those things, a reasonably high duty rate in Australia for that. And there was also goods and services tax. Under that threshold, there was no duty or tax. So that was a good way yeah. to import it. And she, she went from posting to air freight and keeping it under that $1,000. But as she became more popular, she then had to go above the $1,000 value and therefore her costs went up. Right, right, yeah. Because the duty then applied. And then if she got huge shipments, she had, air freight became too expensive. She'd have to go to sea freight. Mm-hmm. And the time lag between sea freight and air freight became an issue too. You know, the, the lead time to getting the goods into the country became an issue as well. So there's some things if you're starting off and you're doing samples to air freight to sea freight, you'll have to take in those those issues as well and factor them into your, your marketing. Yeah. Oh, wow. Just thinking about it, you kind of think, oh, you just send stuff over. But there's a lot more to it. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I'm just I'm just amazed by how much you've done. I, I really am impressed by, you know, your knowledge of that. And I just trying to, yeah, I'm just uh, really impressed by what you've done there. You know, when you're first starting, other than Alibaba, because that's the only thing I've ever, I've ever heard of, is there, like, who do you, like, approach? Is there, like, a government, do you go to government agencies? Or how do you, like, kind of start that process? You find you. Well, yeah, they can find me, but the person really needing to look for what they're wanting to do. So if it's somebody that wants to import something and they've got something in mind, then they could go and Google that and find people that are manufacturing or supplying that in other other countries. You could also go to each country. So in America, you could go to the, the embassies or the consulates of different countries and say, I want to find this sort of product. Can you tell me any people in your country that make this product? And obviously those countries are going to help you because they want to export out of their country to your country. Okay. So that's another way you can go to those consulates or embassies and go to their commercial section and say, you know, I'm looking for products from your country. Can you help me? Okay. That's another way of doing it. Is there like a magazine or like a periodical or something that kind of has like lists of these vendors or something like that? that people there's, yeah, different, there's different magazines. 
magazines in different countries about this. One of my connections on LinkedIn, Sandra, I can't think of her name at the moment, but she's in the UK. She's she's sort of way up in the English, the British system of importing and exporting, customs broken, freight forwarding. Mm. And they have a magazine that I actually get here in Australia. And it talks about different, but it's probably not actually, it's talking about more the the processes that are going on at the moment, particularly with Brexit and things like that. So it's not probably going to help you with finding products per se. The other thing that I may be of interest to your listeners is that Amazon has become in many countries fulfilled by Amazon. So a lot of in Australia, we have a number of people training in fulfilled by Amazon. In other words, you import something from overseas, you bring it in, you put it into Amazon, you market it on Amazon, and Amazon does the the selling, the fulfillment and delivering of those products. So back in you know the early days of, of my courses, I'd say to people, well, you know, when you import the things you can put in your third bedroom or take the boomer out of your garage to store it there till you, you know, sell it from there. But if you can find what I used to call a fulfillment warehouse, you can send it to them and then they will, you know, as you get the orders in, you send the information to them, they send it out. Now, what Amazon do, they've got the whole system, not only the the fulfillment, but they've got the marketing on their websites. So most people are familiar with Amazon, whether they use it or not. It's another thing. I mean, I've used Amazon for years to buy things that I've from my phone, got a little bizzo from Amazon a few years ago, you know. So that's another way that an importer can use Amazon as the distribution and marketing channel for their business. Okay, I could see how that'd be a lot easier for, you know, certain types of products. And, yeah. You know, even like clothing or shoes or, you know, if you can just send it to Amazon locally somehow or something and they sh- they do the fulfillment or whatever all the way over, that open up some new markets pretty easy for some people, so. Wow. Hey, that's a great that's a great tip. Thank you. I might have to start selling stuff in Amazon Australia soon. So just to make a point there, if you are importing for Amazon, you have to import it yourself. Amazon's not going to do that for you. Oh, you have to bring it in in whatever country you're in. I think they're in 13 or 14 countries. So whatever company country you're in, you can import. You have to do the importing and then deliver it into the warehouse that they nominate for you to deliver it to. So the easy way to do that is find a local manufacturer that can make the product or whatever it is. That you want and then have them direct ship it to Amazon and then have Amazon fulfill it to the customer. That's you, probably you could a do that. Yeah, way sure. to make it easier on, on a person's budget and life probably. I imagine it's the shipping from like if you're bringing it, you know, say it's a handmade sweater or something, you, ha- you have to ship it. There you probably just ship it air unless you have a mass quantity. But but I can yeah. see that's kind of probably where the big money comes into on overhead. Whereas if you could actually find a local manufacturer at a decent price, you'd probably save a ton on just freight. Yeah, I think if you take what you mentioned there, let's say a a hand-knitted garment, it might be extremely cheap or it might be a high-value garment that might be worth a few hundred dollars. In that case, the air freight would be worth it because the person that you're marketing to is going to pay for that that wonderful product, that extremely high-value product. And the cost of the air freight to get it to market quickly. So in one sense, you could actually order on consignment, say, okay, you pay for it. We'll have it here within 13 days. Although at the moment with COVID, <laughs> the, uh, no the time frame might be a bit different. Yeah. But I think you get what I mean yep, there. Yep, yep. Wow. So in other words, there's a whole heck of a lot of math you got to do to make sure you don't kill yourself. I mean, financially. 
That's right. This is where the research in the beginning comes in. You've got to look at what are all the challenges? What are all the things that could go wrong? Because you're going through. So I've got a a little graphic called the six sectors of import-export. So it goes from the seller to going to load on a plane or a ship, or in some countries like you might be on a truck or a train to go to Mexico or Canada. But in many countries, it might be a ship or a plane. It's got to be got to be approved for export by the government of the exporting country. Then there's the international transport or carriage. Mm-hmm. Then at the other end, the clearance through customs, the unloading of the goods, and then the delivery to the importer's premises, and then possibly further distribution. So you can see, and that's very simple explanation, much more involved in yeah, each yeah. step of the process there. So, But that's the process you have to go through. You need to understand that. You need to understand the timeframes involved and the costs involved. Yeah. Wow. Fantastic. Well, uh, thank you, Lance. I, I really uh, I think you added a lot of value and, and uh, really op- probably opened some people's eyes to the possibility of, you know, going further, you know, uh, diversifying their income by adding, you know, new countries to where they offer product. So if you could tell everybody again where to find you, and then we'll let, uh, let you get back to your world domination and trade. <laughs> yeah, so it's Lance Schooler. So it's Lance, L-I-N-C, E Schooler, S-C-O-U-L-A-R, and it's at Lance Schooler at LinkedIn and at Lance Schooler Twitter. Perfect. Awesome. Well, thanks again. And until we see you next time, guys, get that revenue up. Talk to you soon.